today on Ag News Daily. Hot dogs, they are the epitome of American ingenuity. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is May 10th. My name is Delaney Howell and I am one of your hosts for the Agnes Daily Podcast. Joining me is my lethargic co-host, Mike Pearson. You know, I'm I'm not terribly lethargic, even though I am horribly bloated. I ate a giant piece of chocolate cake with mm-hmm. ice cream. So I am bloated, but also kind of on a sugar high. So I kind of got that going for me for about the next 10 minutes. So let's get through this before I totally crashed. I think my sugar high has already crashed. Oh, well, so with that being said, Delaney, it is a rainy day. It's a gray day. It's a perfect day to overeat at a chain restaurant. And watch some Netflix on TV, take a little nap. Yeah, I suppose all that. And also, it's a good day to meet with our design team for the website, (laughs) right? Oh, yeah, that too. And so, ladies and gentlemen, very soon, like next week, probably. Yeah. We will be going live with agnewsdaily.com, and it will be a, uh, a reservoir of all of our podcasts. We will be allowed to post, we'll be allowed, it will be our place. We're going to post news articles, we're going to post our thoughts, we're going to, I don't know, do all sorts of fun stuff. So stay tuned, we'll give you an update when that goes live for real. We've got a little work to do this weekend, but uh, really shaping up and looks pretty cool, don't you think, Delaney? Yeah, I think we didn't anticipate that we would have to do stuff on our end before the website <laughs> is launched. I'm glad you mentioned that. I I kind of thought they just hand it to us like... Done. Done. Yeah. yeah. But they make a good point. A lot of the content that we want to put on there, we want it to be in our voices. Yeah. I just hadn't... Yeah. Hadn't, I kind of thought we'd go there and go like, all right, flip it on. Let's go live. <laughs> I honestly kind of did too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah web stuff. Yeah. It's uh, not, slow and expensive. Yeah. It's not really my forte. No. With all that being said, though, do we have any news today, Delaney? Because we have a great interview that we want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, with Dallas Hawkman from the uh, National Pork Producers Exactly. So that'll be great. We had a good talk with Dallas this morning. And so what news do you have? Is there anything out there in the world of agriculture? Well, today is kind of a slow day in the world of news. But yesterday, I think not too long after our podcast kicked out from yesterday, the Senate did confirm the vote to confirm Dr. Scott Gottlieb as the commissioner for the Food and Drug Administration. The vote was passed 57 to 42. So... Really not a lot of um, controversy there. Well, that is good. And it, it was kind of a slow news day on that front. But we had a couple big reports out today. We had the WASD report. And uh, yeah, USDA came out with some numbers. We'll get to those just before we get to the markets. But I did want to touch on something else that was interesting. Democratic senators, eight of them, requested yesterday that government regulators open up an investigation into presidential advisor Carl Icahn. A lot of us remember Mr. Ican from the flap about the RFA, or excuse me, changes to the RFS, which he made as a presidential advisor to Bob Deneen at the RFA, created a lot of volatility in the ethanol market. They are urging these regulators to investigate him for using his position to conduct insider trading and to manipulate the renewable energy markets. Basically, they are concerned about how he was trading renewable identification numbers or RINs. He was short the market and he had the capacity to make those RINs worth less. So. We'll keep you apprised as this move forward right now. It's just these eight senators that are requesting it. But uh, 
you know, these things start small and there might be some kind of an investigation into presidential advisor and large trader Carl Icahn. Hmm, that is interesting. Other news coming out of the White House. The Trump administration is delaying for at least six months a rule that would require organic meat and egg producers to abide by stricter animal welfare standards. Um, this was an, This rule was announced just two days before President Obama left office in January, and these regulations are designed to ensure that organically grown livestock have enough space to lie down, turn around, etc., and that poultry have enough room to also move around freely. Um, I don't see a reason why this was put into effect or why the delay is happening, but my guess is probably because President Trump wants to roll back some of those policy rules and standards that President Obama put into effect, you know, just kind of reevaluating some of that. Yeah, and I would imagine there's been a fair bit of lobbying on the uh, organic industry side as to what those definitions really look like. Move about freely, that can be stretched quite a number of different ways. In other news, in part of today's sentences I never thought I would say, here's one. This is a headline from TheHill.com. President Jimmy Carter agrees with President Donald Trump. Who would have ever guessed those words would be put together in a sentence? But they do. Former President Jimmy Carter says he agrees with President Trump and Trump's decision to slap tariffs on softwood lumber entering the U.S. from Canada. His quote was, This belated enforcement of U.S. trade laws will help millions of private timberland owners, American forestry workers, and members of their local communities by leveling the playing field in the timber industry. I just never would have guessed that Carter and Trump would be Hmm. uh, agreeing on anything. Well, that couldn't have come any better time-wise for us since we talked timber and forestry yesterday. That's exactly right. Good point, Delaney. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, softwood timber right there, yellow pine, being used to power power plants over in England. All right. In England, in merry old England, governor. That's the sugar (laughs) talking, I'm sorry. I was listening to the radio um, this morning and it said like the, I think it was like the sexiest accents to men is, um, I think it said Israeli, but to women is mm. English. So you better practice a little harder there, Mike. Well, that's because women always think that British people are sophisticated. That's right. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> we all know that the American accent is the best. Sure. And, you know, I've got to say, I, I don't know that I could pick out an Israeli accent. I, but I, I got to say, there's something to be said for that uh, southeastern United States accent. Georgia, Tennessee, down oh, in there. Yeah. That's just, I love the way those folks speak. I could listen to them, you know, for like hours. Sunny on, Purdue. Sunny Purdue. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I could listen to Sunny Purdue talk about selling agriculture <laughs> for days and days and days, you know, and, and Boss Hog. Yeah. You know, I'd listen there to those is, folks. I do, I do like that accent as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyhow, let's see. You got any other news for us, Delaney? Yeah, I just have one more story for um, the listeners today. So um, last week, I think I reported that the Senate was trying to get new legislation through that would prevent farm worker deportation, and now the um, House of Representatives is following suit. Congressman Luis Gutierrez announced today that he will be introducing the Agricultural Worker Program Act, which is very similar, or a companion bill to the legislation that was introduced in the Senate last week basically just trying to prevent those workers that have been in the United States for a while from getting deported um, and keeping them here to work in specifically agricultural programs 
or for agricultural purposes. And they would also get, quote unquote, a blue card, like was mentioned in the uh, Senate bill. Okay, so it looks like that these two bills, if they were both voted on, wouldn't take a whole lot of reconciliation. They'd probably just merge right together right. and roll onto the president's desk if, if they come to a vote. Yep. All right. Well, with all of that being said, should we jump in and take a look at today's reports? Yes, let's do that. Shocking, I suppose, for most of us, at least I was surprised, the USDA came out today and tightened stocks of grain really all around the world. As we take a look at U.S. grain carryout for 2016-17, old crop grain, corn uh, came in, final grain carryout at 2.295 billion bushels. That was versus the trade expectations of uh, 2.326. Soybeans came in at uh, 435 million bushels, pretty much in line with trade estimations of uh, 438 million bushels. Wheat, of course, we did lose some wheat in that storm. All wheat total grain carryout came in at 1.159 billion bushels, slightly under the trades guess of 1.162. The real shocker, or I suppose now we'll come to that in a second. So that's old crop, new crop grain carryout, 2.11. Uh, billion bushels. Trade was estimating 2.12, neutral to slightly bullish. Beans, 480 million bushels versus the average trade estimation of 555 million bushels. So USDA, it looks like, is accelerating their demand picture for soybeans, and uh, that should have spurred some buying. And when we get to the markets, we'll see that, yeah, maybe it didn't. Wheat, uh, total new crop wheat carryout, just shy of a billion bushels, 914 million. Trade was guessing 933. Now, it was the winter wheat crop that really got hammered, as one would expect given, given the storm that came through. All winter wheat, total uh, world or US production was at 1.217 billion bushels. Trade was estimating 1.293, so much tighter. And as we look down at the uh, South America, our friends south of the border, way, way south of the border, Argentinian corn came in higher than trade expectations. They expected 40 million metric tons coming out of Argentina. Brazilian corn, 96 million metric tons, 2 million tons higher than the trade was estimating. On the soy side, man, that Brazilian soy crop is just massive. USDA has it pegged at 111 million metric tons with Argentina at 57, both slightly higher than the average range of trade guesses. So with all of that being said, we had slightly bullish news in corn. We had, you know, I guess fairly bullish news on soybeans if we can trust those new crop numbers. But should we see what that did for prices, Delaney? Mm -hmm, I think we should. Let's take a look. So corn, slightly bullish news. Well, we got some big bullish returns here on the board. May corn contract closed up seven cents, finished the day at 365 and a quarter. December new crop up six and a half cents, finished at 391 and a half. In soybeans, May beans, that old crop contract dropped three and a half cents, closed the day at 961 and three quarters. November beans were one might have expected. I would have expected to see a fairly decent jump. We dropped three quarters of a cent, closed the day at 966 and three quarters. Looking down at the wheat market, Chicago wheat May contract dropped two, uh, excuse me, whoa, wheat rose two and a quarter cents, closed at 424 even. The December contract up two and a half, finished the day at 467 even. Kansas City, we had May contract up three quarters. December dropped three quarters. That December contract finished at 479 and a half. 
Looking over at livestock, we continue to narrow the spreads in the live cattle contract. We did see June trading at a huge premium to the deferred months. Now that's coming back into line. June live cattle dropped today 17, excuse me, 77 and a half cents, closed at 124.20. August live cattle dropped 25 cents, closed the day at 120.40. Over in feeder cattle, the May contract dropped two and a half cents, closed at 144.50. The August contract down three dollars, 22 and a half cents, closed the day at 148.92 and a half. Lean hogs front month May rose a little bit, found some strength, up 75 cents, closed at 71.05. The June contract dropped 17 and a half cents, closed at 77.20. Looking over at Class 3 milk, June Class 3 milk contract saw a nice bounce today, finally closed over $16, bumped up $0.21 cents to finish the day at $16.08. Delaney, we talked about hogs a little bit there. We're going to talk a lot about hogs today, aren't we? We are. We're talking to Dallas Hoffman from the National Pork Producers Council, and he has had a long-standing history being involved in the pork industry. I believe before NPPC, he worked for the National Pork Board. Um, he's a Missourian by trade, but lives and works in or Iowa Or by now. birth. Or by birth, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, let's just uh, turn it over to Dallas. Joining us now is Dallas Hoffman. He's the Vice President of Industry Relations for the National Pork Producers Council. Dallas, tell us what is going on in the pork industry, just as a general overview before we get into some more specific topics. Well, thank you very much uh, for letting us talk about the pork industry. It's a very exciting time uh, in, in the pork sector right now. We're um, seeing some expansion begin to take place in the industry. Uh, uh, but most importantly, we're, going to, we're seeing uh, a significant growth in our packer processing side of our business. Uh, we have um, three new large plants that are in the works of coming forward. And so uh, producers are very excited about that. Anytime that it creates competition in the marketplace, uh, that's always interesting for our producers, uh, demand for the live hog side of the equation. And uh, we're also very pleased to see uh, growth in, in, that is, overall pork consumption in the pork usage, both in the retail and the food service area. So demand for our product, both domestically here and as well as international, is growing. So overall, it's a, it's a pretty good time right now in the pork sector. Well, Dallas, let's talk first about that pork processing capacity. We've heard a lot about the uh, the big plant, the Prestige plant, going up in uh, Eagle Grove, Iowa, the uh, plant in Michigan City, Michigan. And uh, where's the other one? I know one just opened up in Wyndham, Minnesota, one in Sioux City. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we have – actually, there are uh, five plants, uh, three – fairly large plants, uh, th the three that you've mentioned, uh, one in Sioux City, um, the, the other one coming in Eagle Grove in, in uh, Iowa, and then Coldwater, Michigan. Uh, then we have one in Minnesota, which is a smaller plant, uh, more specific to the, what do we call niche uh, product. And then there's also a small plant in Missouri that's very much oriented towards niche. So uh, a lot of activity in regards to uh, the new packer processors. Do we have enough hogs in the pipeline today to meet the to meet the requirements of these new facilities? Well, as I said earlier, we're in the midst of expansion that's coming on. 
Um, obviously, these plants are not all coming online at the same time. I mean, we're beginning to see some of them start up, and it takes usually somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, six months to bring a plant to full operational scale. Uh, but you will go through a period of time where, um, you know, as I said earlier, uh, we'll be, if you would, what we refer to as chasing pigs. That is, there'll be more competition for, for the animals coming up. But I think um, we're anticipated, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of four to five percent uh, more capacity coming online. And then once all of these plants come into full production, uh, you will be at somewhere in the neighborhood of eight percent. Uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, uh, increased production. So we, you know, we're optimistic that, you know, the marketplace will respond. Our producers will respond in kind to continue to grow. Uh, we want this to be a very uh, uh, controlled growth, if you would. I mean, obviously, we have to continue to, to look at and focus on getting rid of this product, that is, uh, moving the product uh, both domestically and internationally uh, from the stand that standpoint so i I think we will uh, we will see some uh, competition develop in in the marketplace for for pigs will be uh, right now we're pretty much at capacity uh, and so we'll see uh, the opportunity for producers to hopefully make some uh, good uh, revenue as it relates to this uh, this fall and next next spring. You mentioned um, domestically and internationally. Do you have a plan or do you anticipate that there will be the demand there for this increased production? Yeah, in fact, I was just reading this week that uh, pork is the fastest growing uh, segment of product in the in the food service arena, especially mm. in our QSRs. We've seen a variety of things happen. For example, McDonald's going to all-day breakfast, and, and as a result, all their competitors doing the same thing, as well as new pork offerings. It's coming up in, in pulled pork and barbecue is really growing. And then when he's, we've seen nice growth in the international front. And uh, as the U.S. continues to be uh, one of the low-cost suppliers of pork, but more importantly, from the standpoint of consistency and food safety side of the equation, uh, you know, we are the major pork exporter in, in, in the world. Uh, so we could, hopefully we're going to see continued growth. We've seen nice growth in China, uh, which always helps out. Uh, we're yet to see what might happen in some of the other areas, such as Russia, uh, as we come into it. But we're very optimistic uh, this year, starting off very well on the international export side of the business. Uh, continued growth. Uh, we were a little concerned for a while with Mexico of what might happen in there, but that, that growth continues there. So uh, we're very optimistic as it relates to uh, the continued growth in the export business. We're at about somewhere in the neighborhood of about 25, 26% of our product currently is exported. And we would continue to think that probably that percentage is going to uh, be in that as we see the continued growth of the packer processors. Nice. Now, Dallas, as we look out, um, you've talked about a couple of those niche plants opening up. One of the things that consumers are just bombarded with every day in advertisements is the notion that uh, things need to be antibiotic-free, hormone-free, clean, blah, 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 blah. Is that proposition still a niche market in the pork industry or is consumer demand going to push us all to be 
free, local, or, you know, whatever. What's that look like going forward? Well, there's no question uh, the overall uh, demand for, uh, or I would say discussion that's taking place for product in relationship to how the product's raised, where it's from, uh, fresh, any of those categories are, are, you know, topics of discussion. Some of which is nothing more than what we refer to as competitive turbulence in the marketplace of how can I be different than my competitor. But uh, it's a very small percentage in the beef and and pork category. Comparatively speaking to what we see happen, most of that discussion you see taking place, especially in the fast food business, surrounds uh, chicken or broiler meat. Uh, We have to remember, you know, for us, I mean, we're very committed to overall food safety, and there's no question that consumers are more concerned about antibiotic resistance, uh, and we are too. We have to remind people all the time that first and foremost, pork, uh, there is no hormones used in, in pork production. And then secondly, the fact that uh, we, we don't have any pork residue, or any antibiotic residue in pork meat, this is really kind of a bigger question about antibiotics. The challenge you get into, and we spend a lot of time talking with our food service customers about this, is uh, unlike, let's say, broilers who may live 45 days, you know, we have pork is taking six to seven months, and then beef, you know, 18 months. It's a much longer life cycle. So currently it's a very niche product today um, that we see happening, and it's a very small percent. Recently saw some some retail scanner data that less than, you know, two-tenths of one percent of pork is marketed or labeled, you know, as antibiotic-free uh, in the in the retail store, primarily driven by the fact that consumers are satisfied with it, nor are they willing to pay that price differential, uh, you know, for that product. So in the uh, in the beef end, and Mike, maybe you can help me out with the name of this. What is the new program they're trying to push through where they can track exactly? It's like ADT or AD. I don't know. Um, do you know what I'm talking about, Mike? Yes, but I cannot recall the name. Okay. The be able to to track animals back to their original yep. farm. That's the. Yep. Um. So yeah. my question is is and is the pork industry. It doing that same thing, or are they moving towards that for consumers to be able to track exactly where their food, their pork came from? Yeah, I mean there is there is an element of that, and then we have a capability, uh, you know, within the pork sector, we we have what is called premise ID, you know, where uh, that animals, the pork sector was one of the first ones to be able to, and that's from our standpoint of overall. <clears throat> herd health and in any event of a some type of disease outbreak we 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 can better trace where the animals um, the source point may be but it's a lot different keeping in mind um it's because of primals and and that being separated it is very i mean we can trace in general back uh but we don't really see that overall demand of you know wanting to know exactly what where this okay. came from from the okay. standpoint of mm-hmm. of an individual farm or that but um you know keep you know i always want to remind people of um uh, the fact that 
about 75% of pork becomes further processed in some way. That is, as you think about bacon, sausage, ham, uh, pepperoni, pizza toppings, all these kind of things that, you know, we have. And so as those ingredients further down the line, you know, unlike a whole muscle product like a pork chop or a chicken breast or a steak that maintains its kind of individuality, it, it's much tougher to do that, but by lot in that. But we really haven't seen the demand yet in the marketplace of wanting to know specifically. Unlike, now don't get me wrong, we're all about choice, and we have certain segments that are about that, that are smaller, that may be dealing with whole foods or some kind of segment of that nature that uh, want to have for what we call story pork. You know, of this was raised... Mm-hmm. by ex-producer of that. Yeah, Captain so you... Premium for uh, for the, yeah. the ability to tell that story. I, I was going to ask you a, a different but maybe related question. One of the things that we have heard uh, from the animal rights activists and so forth for the past couple of years, but it seems to have died off, at least from my perspective, is the, uh, the objection to gestation stalls and mm-hmm. the idea that sows need to be moved more towards uh, free housing <laughs> the way that you know, my family raised dogs back in the 80s. Um, it, is that still a push, or have folks realized the, the benefits of uh, gestation stalls? It's still there. I mean, uh, the I would say the latest numbers that we see is we've seen about somewhere in the neighborhood of the low 20s to maybe as high as 25% of our overall sows have moved into some type of alternative, what we would call group housing. Uh, But the vast majority of our sows are still in individual housing. Now, uh, because we're dealing with a fixed asset and, you know, that's got a life of 25, 30 years, uh, what we see is from... Most of the new facilities that are built, they're moving into group housing. Uh, but the retrofitting uh, is taking much longer. And one, because of a variety of reasons, uh, there's just no incentive for producers to do it. Uh, permitting, in many cases, because it takes more square footage, uh, or there's no premium being derived from it. Uh, but it's slowly moving in that direction. So when that, when I tell people a lot when they're asking me is, yes, the industry is responding. Uh, and in actuality, producers have found in many cases uh, they like it just as much, if not better, than the individual housing before. Uh, and its productivity, we've been able to you know, demonstrate that productivity is about the same. Uh, but Overall, it's slow, slowly going that way, and it's going to take a long period of time. No major pushes. And then you got the challenge of getting back to your earlier question um, about traceability. It's, it's okay. Keeping in mind, this is the mother or the female that's in the offspring that's derived from it. You have to segment that out, and then in turn trace that through, um, you know, to ultimately end up with some type of known factor. So it's still there. I would say uh, we keep in mind that where did this start from? It really didn't ever start from a 
uh, a demand from the quote marketplace retails or who or customers or consumers. It really was an activist-driven agenda, and if they've moved on to something else, some of the pressure is kind of backed off of it. Uh, so we don't hear near as much from our customers about it. It's still there. Don't get me wrong. It's still moving. But more of the focus is kind of begin to switch over into the areas of antibiotic questions versus animal welfare. Okay. Dallas, I just have one final question for you. Are there any big changes or policy, fact, fact, uh, policy drivers coming up in the near future? Well, we're very optimistic with the new administration in relationship to what appears to be some relief, if you would, on the overbearing regulatory environment we've found ourselves in for the past, you know, eight or ten years. Um, so we're very optimistic about that from, A, what appears to be a more workable uh, EPA, that is from the environmental side of the equation. Uh, our biggest concern is in relationship to uh, – trade. That is, mm -hmm. we want to definitely make sure that we continue to have uh, open trade access uh, where appropriate free trade agreements. Um, and for our industry specifically, uh, we've demonstrated the benefit of having free trade agreements and more importantly, the opportunity it shows for growth in the agricultural sector. So that's the real <coughs> excuse me, concern we have <coughs> going forward is that need and opportunity to continue to look for bilateral agreements with countries uh, and making sure that we have market access to continue to allow for export side of our business to grow. All right, Dallas. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us this morning. The pork industry is always changing, and I know that as this goes forward, we will continue to have you back on and uh, give us an update on where things stand. So really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Again, a big thank you to Dallas Hoffman and really just the National Pork Producers Council in general for supplying us with Dallas to talk to. He was definitely on the top of his game and knows what's going on in the industry. Yeah, that's a connected fellow. You can tell he's plugged into all aspects of the industry. And I'm sure, Delaney, that we will have Dallas back on again to give us an update as we get into the summer months, as the grilling season fires up, as folks get to the baseball field. Get those hot dogs. And get those hot dogs, exactly. Oh, man, I wish I could. I heard an interesting statistic about hot dogs. Anyway, we eat a pile of them every year at baseball stadiums. Yeah. I'll, I'll look up that number. We'll, we'll share it tomorrow. I'm sure it's a disgusting amount when you think well, about it's it. Well, a, it's a healthy amount. You know, people like hot dogs. Hot dogs are like the, uh, what did we talk about the other day? Like the Pulp wood is what yeah. you compared <laughs> them to yesterday. Yeah, and they are not. They are a delicious reuse of stuff that we probably wouldn't have eaten unless it was in a, a, a tubular form we could put relish on. Yum. Hot dogs, they are the epitome of American ingenuity. Oh, you heard it here first, folks. It's the epitome of American ingenuity, the hot dog. That's right. That could be a shirt. You just send me a couple dollars and <laughs> let me know. With that, Delaney, we have a fun day planned tomorrow. We're talking to Joe Sweeney from Eagles Catch Fish in Iowa, doing aquaculture on a large scale indoors in the upper Midwest. Mm -hmm. And on Friday, we will carry on our discussion once again about electronic logging devices in trucks 
and what that might mean for livestock haulers. That's right, Mike. And like we said, uh, our website is coming soon, so we will let you know when we were when it is up and running. But for now, just be sure to subscribe to us in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you know when it's up and ready for the day. And feel free to check us out on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is Ag News Daily for both. We want to hear comments, um, questions. We like getting feedback and uh, in advice on who to have on the podcast because we don't know everybody in the industry and it's great to always meet new people. It sure is. And with that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. A little thrown off there.